The reading today is from Matthew 10, from verse 16. And it reads, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to hear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Feels like evening, but good afternoon. And if you've got a Bible, please uh, turn to Matthew chapter 10. And I want to tease out a couple of points from this for us this afternoon. But let's pray. Lord, thank you that you invite us, you involve us in your plans. And we pray that you this afternoon would speak to us and show us what it is that you've called us to do. And as we go into this coming week, help us to apply your word and to live for you, Lord. Amen. Well, one of my favorite movies uh, is from the 80s, and uh, it's a classic called Blues Brothers. With all these lights, you all appear dark. I can't see if anyone is putting their hands up, but if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Absolute classic, The Blues Brothers. And uh, it's uh, a comedy, really, following this blues band as they go on the road and seek to raise funds to... Uh, pay off the debt and save the orphanage that they grew up in. And there's a meme that's uh, come out from the movie and uh, it's often repeated through it and it's simply this, we're on a mission from God. We're on a mission from God. And I want us to think today about how we are on a mission from God. God has invited us and God involves us in his mission to go and rescue, save the world. Now in verse 16, Jesus says, I, I am sending you. In the original Greek of the New Testament, it emphasizes the I of Jesus. There's the personal pronoun, and then there's the verb uh, to send. I send, I, I send. And I think that the Lord is sort of underlining it here in Scripture for us. This is not a good idea. We don't engage with mission because it's a, an outworking of a particular personality profile. We're not doing mission because the vicar tells us to do it. We're not doing it because we feel a certain sense of responsibility and burden, although that's not a bad thing. We are engaged in the mission of God because God himself has invited us and is involving us in that mission. Jesus himself addresses us and ordains us, commissions us, and entrusts us to go with the invites of God. And then he says, I, I am sending you. And it's in a present, sort of continuous tense. It's always now. 
He's always sending. Now is always the time to go for him on mission. And there's to be no delay, no waiting around, waiting until we've sort of attained a certain perfection and we resemble St. Francis or Mother Teresa. And certainly not when we've mastered all the questions or all the answers to all the questions of faith and we're able to go up against Jordan Peterson and Richard Dawkins and Piers Morgan all together. No, we're to go. There's an ancient Jewish proverb that says, if not you, who? And if not now, when? The Lord Jesus invites us and involves us in his mission. We're on a mission from God. And he's inviting us to go and tell people about him, to introduce people to him, to extend the offer of life, of salvation, of wholeness, of meaning, of purpose, of fulfillment, of eternity, of heaven. He's inviting us to go with this news. It's why they call it good news. Now here in our passage, Jesus employs uh, three animal-based kind of similes for the manner in which we go. He says we're to go as sheep among wolves, we're to go wise as serpents, and we're to go gentle as doves. And I want to just tease open those three things. Firstly then, we're on a mission from God, and we go as sheep among wolves. Jesus, having said there to go, then just says, but just so that you know. From the get-go, he lets them know things aren't always going to be easy and smooth and they're not always going to receive this remarkable uh, welcome. When we go on mission, sometimes we go, we're going with the invite of God, but that invite of God can invite a certain reaction that's negative, a certain opposition. Now, the wolf was the oldest symbol of Rome. There's a myth uh, that you'll know that Romulus and Remus, the brothers, uh, were the founders of Rome, that they were suckled as infants by a wolf. And uh, the wolf was this archetypical symbol for Rome. This is part, I think, there's a hint of that. Here, when he says, go a sheep among wolves, you're going out into the empire. And there are wolves out there who oppose the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus as Lord will always challenge the power structures of those who themselves want to hold on to authority and power and rulership and lordship. The wolf of Rome, of course, crucified the Lamb of God. In our uh, East End window here, our missions window, there are five main panels, the Lord Jesus in the middle, two on either side. And four of those five persons who went out on mission were like lambs before the wolves, and four of the five were actually uh, murdered. They were martyred for conveying the faith. Our Lord Jesus, Peter, Philip, and on the left-hand side, Bishop Hannington, who went to Uganda. 
And around the world today, many who are going out like sheep among wolves are suffering in the jaws of the wolves. I heard recently of two people who were uh, ministering amongst a certain people group in a certain context where there is um, uh, a resistance towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were arrested and they suffered for some months in jail, eventually being released. And uh, they went to their uh, pastors and their leaders and the leader said, you need to leave the country and you need to go and get some therapy, some inner healing, and just go and you know, take it easy out there. <laughs> and, and they said, what are you on about? We're on a mission from God. And they asked to go straight back in. But we go as sheep among wolves. Generally, the worst we'll get here in the West, the worst reaction we'll get here in uh, England is some ridicule or rejection or perhaps mild mockery. I've only been whacked once. I think I was whacked a few times on that one occasion. It was when I was sharing my faith in Birmingham. Anyone from Birmingham here? And I got a bit of a kick in <laughs> talking to people about the Lord Jesus there. It was one of those things. Uh, I've been threatened a few times, but my o overwhelming experience in seeking to tell other people about Jesus. I've been a minister nearly 35 years. The overwhelming experience is positive. It's not even indifference. There are a few wolves, but many of them haven't got any teeth. And many of them are simply longing to meet with God and to hear how they can be rescued. And we find that when we go and when we share, we meet a welcome they're more eager to hear and receive often than we are to go and tell. Christian mission is not militant. We're going as sheep. This is not a revolution that comes through aggression, although at times the church has misunderstood this in history, it must be said. Rome advances at the edge of a sword, but the church advances in the power of the love of God with the message of the love of God. I was in a coffee shop, society cafe here in Oxford, and across from me was a giant. He was honestly about seven foot tall and about 300 pounds of American prime beef. I mean, it was a remarkable specimen. And so I just had to go and talk to him. So I went over and I said, hi, he said, hi. I said, you're massive, something like that. I said, I, I wouldn't like to have come up against you on the rugby field or in the boxing ring or something. You know, you'd have done some damage. And he replied, he says, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm a lover, not, I thought just as well, because people would get hurt if you were a fighter. But we're lovers, not fighters. We're sheep not wolves, and we're sent in the power of the love of God and with the message of the love of God. It was St. Augustine, the church father, who said, as long as we are sheep, then we conquer. Secondly, we're on a mission from God and we're to go wise as serpents. 
Sometimes the word wise there is translated as shrewd. I saw that even on the screen. Uh, and this, I think, is not quite the right nuance because shrewd can imply crafty or sneaky or slippery. And the word that's there translated as wise is the word for wisdom, phronemoi in Greek, from phronos, which is Greek for the mind. We bring our mind to our mission. And wisdom is saying the right thing at the right time to the right people in the right way. It's doing the right thing at the right time with the right people in the right way. It's being the right thing at the right time with the right people in the right way. That's wisdom. Wise as a serpent here may be an allusion to the Garden of Eden where Eve was outsmarted by the crafty serpent and uh, the serpent bowled a googly and caused Eve to think God was holding out on them and to twist God's word scripture, did God really say, and so on. And in the end, they gave in to temptation and they fell away from God and all their ancestors ever since have been falling into oblivion, falling away from God, falling into death and nothingness. And Jesus has come to reverse that and to catch us and to bring us back. The, we've got to be wiser than the serpent who would undermine the purpose of God. Wisdom. Wisdom, of course, is preeminently seen in Jesus. In fact, one of his names, one of the main presentations uh, of Jesus in the New Testament early on and in the early church was as the wisdom of God, the wisdom that created the universe, the wisdom that became flesh. And we see wisdom in all that Jesus says and does and is. We see it even before he actually says and does anything. He's lying there, a newborn babe in an animal feeding trough. And the wisest magi travel hundreds of miles in order to come and worship the wise one. They're wise enough to know where wisdom resides. It's here in the flesh, in the manger. We see his wisdom when he was a mere boy and he's teaching the teachers at a temple when he's just 10. We see his wisdom when he's uh, teaching others in the synagogue and we're told that they were amazed at his wisdom and the power that accompanied it. Someone had to have said the things that are recorded here, said by Jesus. And whoever said those things is the wisest of them all, who understands me, who understands you, who understands the world, and who understands God. We see his wisdom when he's dealing with the Pharisees. They're trying to trap him with a question, and he flips it, asks them a question. They can't answer it. You know, who should, should we pay taxes and so on? And render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's. So often in Jesus' interaction with people, we see this sublime wisdom. He doesn't just spill out his knowledge, he knows everything, but there's a wise handling of the individual on their terms as he seeks carefully to bring matters 
to the kingdom and to turn their lives around. We see wisdom at the trial before Pilate and the high priest when he chose to answer and when he chose to be silent. And of course, we see the wisdom of God in the foolishness and the apparent God-forsakenness of the cross. That's the wisdom of God that brings us back to God. Well, we're not Jesus, but we have his example, we have his teaching, and Jesus goes on to say that when we're speaking and we're in trouble and we're brought up before authorities, the Spirit will help us to speak. And the Spirit is there to give us wisdom. We look at Christ, we emulate him, we look at his teaching, we try to incorporate that and own and understand and apply, and then we rely on his Spirit in us to help us to speak for him. And it's wisdom that makes us winsome in our sharing of the gospel and extending that invite. But you know, so often, over the years, I've been so unwise. I've just gone in all guns blazing and offended people. When I took a bit of a pasting that time from a couple of lads, that wasn't because I was unwise, although maybe being there, I was the wrong person at the wrong time in the wrong place, perhaps. Being wise as serpents means that we're not too moralistic. Of course, Christianity has its ethical dimension. We don't hide our ethics. We live by them, but we don't lead with ethics when we're sharing our faith. We don't place a kind of moral hurdle in people's way, although we do tell them that the gospel means leaving certain things behind to embrace the Lord. But it's not moralistic. Evangelistic is not moralistic. Being wise as serpents means that we're not overly enthusiastic. Sometimes in evangelism, people can be so giddy and so passionate that they're a bit like a tidal wave. They just kind of drown the person on the receiving end, kind of unrestrained enthusiasm. It can be overwhelming, it can be intimidating. It's just too much. It's like you're in my face, you're in my space, step off. Jesus was never like that. He invited people to invite more from him. Being wise as serpents means that we're not out there bludgeoning people with apologetics. Often, you know, when I was a younger Christian, I was really into acquiring certain skills and tools intellectually so that I could go into a kind of sword fencing with others and win a sort of intellectual argument law of non-contradiction and uh, deconstructing false worldviews and so on. And whilst in uh, inviting people to follow Jesus, often there will be genuine intellectual and existential questions, hurdles that need to be addressed. We don't go, we're not there to show off. Mission, evangelism, faith sharing is not a blood sport. We're not in there to win an argument and lose the person. We're there to build a bridge so that we can communicate Jesus. And again, being wise as serpents means not being too kind of esoteric. I wince at some of the conversations I've had where I just started, again, telling people about all the things I know. I remember I spent all afternoon once talking to someone who wasn't a Christian about the charismatic gifts. I mean, I should have practiced them 
on the person, at least prayed for them. But instead, I just talked about these things. And I went away and I thought, wow. And then I wrote, hang on a sec, that was silly. And they, they probably thought, this Christianity is completely bonkers. What's all this speaking in tongues or whatever? When we engage in the mission of God, we're not there to talk about the seven riders of the apocalypse or the subtle prophetic insights into the tabernacle in the wilderness. It's about Jesus. And we've got to keep him front and centre. And then thirdly, we're on a mission from God and we need to be as pure as doves. Sometimes the word pure as doves, the word pure there is translated as innocent, that's okay. Sometimes it's gentle, that's not really right. The word in the original means undiluted, unadulterated, unmixed. It means pure. There's got to be something pure about the witness to the Lord. Pure in terms of authenticity, but pure in terms of integrity. And Jesus, of course, is our model for purity. But his purity uh, doesn't mean that he withdraws from that which is sinful. It's not a sort of fear of being tainted or contaminated. Jesus is the Holy One of God. That's what the demon said. Jesus is without sin. Never did anything wrong. Never thought anything wrong of his own will. Pilate said, I find no guilt in him. And Peter said, he commits no sin, no deceit is in his mouth. But in his purity, he doesn't withdraw or retreat from people, from people who are sinful, like all of us. Thank goodness he advances towards us in love. And he seeks to transform us. But Jesus says we need to be pure as doves. And there must be some consistency, there must be some correlation between our character and our nature and our being and our living and the message of the Holy One of Israel. You know, we're the only Bible that most most non-Christians will ever read. We're as near to Jesus or meant to be as they'll ever meet. So what are they learning about Jesus when they read us, when they meet us, when they see us? And I think often the the church's mission, the mission of God, our desire to communicate Jesus actually meets resistance or reluctance at times because people have looked at the church and said, you lie. That they see this inconsistency, they see this discrepancy, they know our history, they see our hypocrisy, they say there's just a credibility gap between what you say, what you proffer, and who you are. And what they want to see is a life lived that correlates with the message preached. Not that we're ever going to be perfect until we get to meet the Lord Jesus. They're not expecting that, but they're seeing some, they want to see some evidence that this gospel of Jesus who rescues is in us and that we evidence something of the rescue of God and the return to God and we're becoming more like him. Some years ago, we had outside, uh, we had the outside of our vicarage painted by the diocesan decorators 
And um, I thought, here's my chance. Uh, people, they're at my house for three days. And it's captive. And I'm going to just witness to them. I'm going to share with them. I'm going to get them along to church. I'm going to get them to an Alpha course. I'm going to convince them of Jesus. And, um, you know, I'll have saved a soul. So they turn up at like eight o'clock and I, I said, hi guys, welcome. My name's Simon. Would you like a bacon sandwich and a cup of coffee? And I was met by a very kind of stern, no, we're all right, thank you. And off they went. I thought, oh. Anyway, 11 o'clock I went to see him and I said, hi guys, fancy a bit of cake, cup of tea? No, we're fine, we said earlier. I thought, what? Oh, right. uh, and then I went again at lunchtime. Guys, lunchtime, can I make you out? Anything you'd like to eat? Cook you something up? We don't want anything from you. And I was really a bit shocked by the, you know, they just were sort of unfiltered in their resistance to me. And then the, the younger, it was a father and son, but the younger of them said, you know, we painted vicarages all around the diocese. I said, oh. And they said, we can tell you what goes on at vicarages and we can tell you about vicars. We want nothing from you. And that was it. And I realized that, you know, they didn't want anything to do with me. They were reluctant to receive anything from me because they'd been turned off church, turned off Christ by meeting vicars. We've got to do better, some of us. It was Nietzsche who said, you'll have to look more redeemed if I'm to believe in your Redeemer. You don't have to look perfect, but you've got to show some sort of evidence that God is at work in your life. We're sent out on a mission from God. We're going to be like sheep before wolves, and we're to be wise as serpents, but we're to have some purity like doves. Let me finish, and we're coming to the Lord's table. And at the table, we, see, we meet the purity of God and we meet the wisdom of God and we meet the Lamb of God. But you know, there's an often quoted saying that I hear and uh, I've used it, but actually it's a, a misquotation. It's from Isaiah eleven sixteen, And what people often say is, the lion will lie down with the lamb. You ever heard that? The lion will lie down with the lamb. But it's interesting that the verse actually says, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. And if we go as wise as serpents, and if we go as pure as doves, and if we go like sheep among wolves, then some of them will respond, they will hear, and they will receive, and they will welcome, and they'll say yes, and they'll meet with Jesus, and there'll be those wolves who join the lambs, who will become lambs themselves. But let's stand, we're coming to the Lord's table.